Okay, Father, I thank you for Paul. I thank you that this is a topic that you've really put on his heart. And I just pray that he, you would speak to him this morning um, and through him and that you would inspire us as well, Lord. Amen. Good morning. When uh, Nigel asked me to uh, speak on this topic, um, I sent him a, a message saying, Nigel, how long do you want me to talk for? How long should this session be? And he said, no more than two hours, if you can keep it under that. He said, half an hour. And my initial response was to feel quite intimidated. I've never, I've never preached at Forest Hill or anywhere else. And I thought, gosh, how are we going to manage to do half an hour? And then I thought about the topic. I thought about the topic of environment that we have and climate change for today. And when you start to think about all of the things that are wrapped up in that, all the things around biodiversity, around extinction, around climate change, around sea level change, climate refugees, animal rights, how to feed a hungry world, all of the issues that you could touch on on this topic, we definitely need more than half an hour. And then if we also think about our journey as Christians, if we think of what do we do as followers of Jesus, what is Jesus telling us about the climate, about the world? How should we feel? What should we be doing? If we add that in as well, we've probably got enough for a whole year's worth of talking and discussion. But we only have 29 minutes left so we will um we will look through some things together and i'm going to try and resist the temptation to talk too fast because i am really excited and i really care about this topic but i don't want to walk talk three times faster than normal um so i'm going to try and speak slowly slow me down if i'm going too fast and i'm going to try also to give time for us to think to reflect and I think it's really important that we give space also to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. So we're going to try and do that in the next 28 and a half minutes. Okay. Ben, thank you. So what are we going to do while we're together then? Um, I'm going to start with an introduction. Um, I know some of you have seen me before, but I think it's a good idea. I'm going to share with you a disclaimer um, or I'm going to use Christian language and call it a confession. We're going to look together at uh, God's good creation, and we've already sung about that in the, in the sung worship. Then we're going to check in on how things are going with that good creation. Um, we'll talk about climate emergency and other things around that. I want us to think a bit about what are the responses that we have to where we're at. And then we're going to ask what would Jesus do? And we're going to finish with, what will we do? So if you're ready for that journey, let's begin. Okay, so an introduction. I, I, do, I like it when a, a preacher tells you a little bit about who they are. Um, a little bit. It, it shouldn't make up the whole of the talk. Um, but I thought some of you have known me since I was 16, and some of you perhaps are here for the first time today. So let me say briefly something about, about me. So Forest Hill Community Church, we have been a part of what was Ixthus Central and then Forest Hill Community Church. 
for, I think it's 17 years now. And I'm a bit amazed how the years have flown by. But this is our home, and this is where we have felt a part of God's church with you. Uh, This is our family at the top here. So, uh, Rosie, give us a wave. She knew I was going to embarrass her. And we also have Clover, give us a wave, who uh, read the prayer from India, a Christian prayer from India earlier. And Daisy, who's gone out with the youth. Uh, that picture is us on, uh, in 2016, when we as a family had a year away from the UK and we travelled around the world and saw amazing places. I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Um, the picture at the bottom, uh, what do I do for work? Uh, Rosie likes me to be out of the house and, and busy during the day, um, so I do have a job. Um, my job is I work for the Girl Guides, and I lead a team of quite amazing people who are based uh, in places all over the world. And that team writes and then helps to deliver activities for girls around the world on loads of different topics, body confidence, gender-based violence, internet safety, the environment. So I work with that amazing team. And last week, uh, in fact, until six o'clock yesterday, I was with a group of them in Sweden, uh, in the city of Malmö. And we were looking at the UN Sustainable Development Goals as a group. And those national leaders of Girl Guide movements, there are 10 million Girl Guides in the world. They are going to go back to their countries and they're going to learn more about the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And they're going to take action, they're going to do projects in their country. So I was preparing some of this talk, sitting in an airport, about to get on a plane. And then um, the picture at the bottom there. So why am I talking about the environment? I think there's two main reasons. One is that I made a mistake when we were asked to suggest topics that we um, we could have talks on. Instead of putting it in the box as an anonymous piece of paper... I told Sam that I think somebody should talk about the environment. So Sam asked if I would talk about the environment. But why why the environment for me personally? Well, for all of my life, I have been interested in and fascinated by the world that we live in, the variety, the incredible creatures, the, the habitats. And I've also, from a very young age, been really concerned about what we're doing to this world. So... Back in 1992, for those of you who were around then, um, there was something called the the Earth Summit in Rio. And I was a teenager. There was lots in the media. There was lots going on in schools as well at that point, if you were at school in the 80s. And that was part for me about how I became aware of a world that was changing, that um, we wanted to save the Amazon back in 1992. And we wanted to stop uh, greenhouse gases. And we were worried about the hole in the ozone layer Fortunately, that one seems to have mostly uh, been improved. And if you'd met me as a teenager, uh, if you'd come to my, if you'd uh, seen my bedroom, which of course was a very tidy bedroom, um, I didn't have posters of Michael Jackson or um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark on the wall. I had a poster of some whales and I had a poster of a rubbish dump with a little flower growing on the top with the words, the earth is the Lord's written on top of it. So you can see I was a very cool teenager, uh, very much the the Greta Thunberg of my my time. Okay, let's uh, move on to the next slide, please. And 
one more click. All right, so this is my disclaimer. I, as you've heard, I love, I love the world. I love the natural world. Um, I showed Daisy the picture of the baby polar bear. She was very pleased. Um, but I do. I could watch David Attenborough documentaries every evening, and they amaze me, and they move me to tears. And I do. I care about polar bears and uh, honeybees. Uh, I'd love to keep bees, actually. That's one of my life's dreams. Elephants. Who's met an elephant? Who hears, actually? you're up close with them they're such majestic creatures they're so powerful so mighty and yet at the same time so sensitive the, the relationships they have within their family members so i am deeply passionate about this amazing world that god created ben click the, the thing oh dear but i do still really like a beef burger i mean a good beef burger nice beef organic even though I know that the cow that that beef has come from has probably been fed on soya beans that have come from Brazil, probably from a bit of land that had jungle until it was cleared in a fire to grow soya beans for the cows for my burger. And I do, I do fly. Uh, that's not my personal jet, but um, I, f- I flew here yesterday from Sweden. And when we had that amazing year away... We think we took 49 flights each. So I don't think I can ever be a Green Party MP. Or And we drive. We drive a car. So we, we replaced our car last year. And we didn't buy an electric car. We didn't buy a hybrid car. We just bought another petrol car. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know that the, the petrol I'm putting into that car is adding to the emissions that are adding to the warming of the planet that is damaging all the habitats, the environments for the animals that I care about. So that's, that's my confession. And the reason for saying that is, is twofold. One is that um, I didn't want you to listen to me talking and then think that uh, Paul's got it all sorted and he's telling us kind of what to do without knowing that actually I struggle. I struggle because the lifestyle I live... I know is, is damaging to the planet, and, and I know I need to change, and it's hard work. But I also wanted to encourage you, because sometimes we look around and we see people who seem to have got it all sorted. They are already vegan, and they don't fly, and they don't wear leather, and they only ever get the train, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it can be a bit intimidating. You might feel that, actually, well, what can I do? So I want it to also be an encouragement for all of us that... Um, there are choices we can make and that we may not be there yet, but that we can move in the right direction. Thank you. So let's, um, let's talk about the, the goodness of creation. Um, there, there was a book I read, uh, again, as a teenager called uh, Greenhouse Theology, a Christian perspective on greenhouse gases. It was very popular with teenage boys in the late 1980s. Um, <laughs> and Ron Elston, the, the author, I don't think it's in print anymore, the, the, the author makes a really good point, and he, he backs it up with scripture, about the goodness of creation, about uh, how we see in Genesis the, the creation that God creates and, and what he says about it, how the Psalms show us that um, 
the, the created world is good, but also the created world is worshipping the God that created it. And even in the New Testament, we can see things, little hints in there about why the created world continues to be part of God's plan and part of, um, part of the worship for him. So, um, yeah, Genesis 1.31. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it, was, it wasn't just good, it was very good. And actually, whether you believe in a, a process of creation that involves billions of years and a God-inspired evolutionary process, or whether you believe in a literal six-day creation, it doesn't matter because we know that the world was created. It has a creator and that it is good, very good. Okay. So Genesis continues in... Um, chapter two, nineteen. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now I find this really interesting because, yes, he created the world full of animals and trees and, and insects and fish, but he also created a world with people in it. I think sometimes there's a temptation to think that, that the natural world is, is suffering, and it is suffering because of people, but you know, the solution might be to remove people. Sometimes you hear suggestions, well, if we could just take people out of that area, then the natural world would be okay. But actually, God created a world with people in it. And we have, we have jobs to do. We have things that God expects us to do within the natural world. So... He expects us to steward, to look after it. But this, is, this, for me, I find is a really interesting task that he asked us to do, which was to name all the creatures. So, at a guess, how many different species are there in the world? How many? Ten billion. That's quite, that's quite lower. Lower. <laughs> Species, not numbers of creatures, but different species that you can have a long Latin name to. So we don't know, of course we don't know, but we estimate between 5 million and 100 million different species in the world that the Lord created. So of that, between 5 and 100 million, how many do you think that we have described? How many have we named? Five million? Any other offers? One million? Yeah, 1.7 million. So we've only just begun on that job of name, like, you know, Garden of Eden stuff here, right? Naming, but we've only just begun on the job of naming all the species, of knowing them, understanding them, describing them. Ben, thank you. There's some of them. I don't know how you feel about creepy crawlies but uh, I was going to ask if we sang could sing all creatures great and small this morning old school classic but uh, I think the choices were better than what I was going to suggest thank you so here's another thing then about that good creation is that as we heard it doesn't belong to us 
And I think we, we fall into the temptation of treating the world as if it belongs to us. It's ours to use up. It's the warehouse for us to take whatever we want out of. But the Bible's really clear that it does not belong to us. It is given to us to look after, to look after, to steward, but not ours to keep. Um, there's a uh, verse from Leviticus. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine, it's the Lord's. And you are but aliens and my tenants. And if you're a tenant somewhere, if, I don't know if you're renting the house or the flat that you live in, if you're a tenant, then you know that the landlord might come in and check how you're doing, how you're looking after their, their possession. Thank you, Ben. And there's something else as well about this, this good creation. Um, and we sung a bit about it earlier. This is from Isaiah 55, 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You probably know the song, right? I think it's quite hard to read it without hearing the song now. But isn't that incredible that the trees, and if you look out the window behind us, we can see some trees, are involved in worshipping their creator. They're not inert. They're not just a collection of molecules just hanging around. But whilst we're here worshipping on a Sunday morning, singing, I think the trees out there as well are worshipping with us. They're standing with us. And not just the trees, everything that's created out there. And, and actually not even just the living things, even the rocks, even the stones out there are worshipping their creator. That ought to be a humbling thought for us. And it also, I think, should make us think that when we take a chainsaw to a tree or we um, take a trawler through an ocean and we remove all that is there, we're actually disturbing, we're actually diminishing the worship of the creator. And we might not be holding the chainsaw ourselves, um, but we might have our pension fund invested in the company that does, or we might be buying the products that actually is driving that behavior. Thank you, Ben. So, yes, so we've, um, we've heard this psalm a couple of times today, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And the Psalms are full of um, references to the natural world and references to um, how the natural world points towards the Lord God. Thanks, Ben. I quite enjoyed uh, looking on Google Images for for images to go with the PowerPoint today. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes we, we do these, uh, you get these sort of posters that children have, um, and they're, they're, they're rather lovely. Um, Psalm 104 says, 24, verse 24, How many are your works, Lord? In your wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So um, already uh, Hannah invited you earlier on to think about 
either a place or perhaps a, a creature that you feel maybe showed you something of God, showed you, revealed something of God's glory. Um, and there's the opportunity in all the time that we're here to go up if you want to draw. But I would like you to, I'd like to invite you all now to, to close your eyes for a minute. And um, I want you in your mind's eye to picture either a place, a natural place, an outdoor place that, that moved you, that showed you something of, of who God is. Or I'd like you to think, if not that, then of a creature, an encounter. It could be a wild animal. It could, it could even be uh, a pet at home. And I want you to, to look again in your mind's eye at that scene. What is it about that place or that creature that revealed something of Creator God? What did it show you of God's nature? Okay, you can open your eyes again. And uh, just for a minute, I'd like you to turn to whoever is sat next to you or behind you. And if you're happy to, to share what it was that you were thinking of and why it was that it, uh, what it made you think. Onto the next slide as well. Where? Thank you. Okay. I invite you to just. Finish. You can always follow up the conversation uh, later when we uh, finish the main part of the service over tea and coffee. Thank you. Okay. Um, ben, perhaps you could put us on to the next slide. So, who do we have on screen? Dodo. We all know about the dodo. So, I want us to imagine if um, if we knew this afternoon that, that God was coming to Forest Hill and there was a meeting being called and uh, he'd like to meet with us all to ask us about his created world. He'd like to ask us about how we're doing as tenants. He'd like to check in on us. He's going to ask about how uh, some of those amazing species are that he created and... Uh, you know he's going to ask about the dodo. How do you feel? How do you feel knowing that uh, as the conversation goes on, it'll move on to other, other species and just the general well-being of the world that God has entrusted to us? I know personally I think 
I would feel pretty uncomfortable about that afternoon meeting that's coming up. And it's, uh, there are some quite shocking statistics about the, the speed of extinction of species at the moment. So the, the World, World, Worldwide Fund for Nature has some figures around how many species are disappearing every year. And again, they're estimates. But between 2,000 and 10,000 species are becoming extinct every year. And many of those, we will never have known who they were. So in fact, that opportunity to name those species has gone, to know them. And if you work out through the year the maths of that, that means that every one or two hours, there's another species that's gone forever. So in fact, what we've been worshipping here this morning, there's another species that is gone. Now, many of those will be those uh, brightly colored frogs that you see, you know, from the, the Amazon or the, or the little insects. So there's a lot of them, right? So there's, there are those little creatures that maybe some of them, the differences between them don't seem very much to us. But there are some pretty big animals in there, too. There are a couple of species of rhino that have recently become extinct. We're never going to see them again. And when you hear about some of the other big species, um, the panda, the tiger, the lion, the giraffe, the elephant, there are some pretty serious projections about them disappearing from the wild in the next 10 to 20 years. That the world that I grew up in, for my children or my grandchildren, perhaps won't have those animals living in the wild. Ben, next one, please. So as the meeting goes on about um, God asking us how we're doing with his world, then you'll have seen in the news, I'm sure, over the summer that the fires in the Amazon um, have reached historically high levels, the level of destruction um, of habitats that will take generations to restore. And then earlier this year as well in the news, the Arctic is on fire. I don't know how you felt when you saw that, but my reaction was, what? How can the Arctic be on fire isn't that really cold and sort of wet and you shouldn't be having fires in the Arctic? What is happening to this planet? Um, you can see, depending on what Facebook gives you and depending on where you get your news or who you talk to, stories of, for example, orangutans, uh, destruction of their, their habitat in places like uh, Borneo and Indonesia and tragic stories of individuals clinging to the last tree in the woods. And when I see them, and we sometimes look at these with the girls, they move me to tears. And I think we should be moved to tears with these stories. And in some ways, we are directly destroying habitats. So the business of growing food, the business of extracting the things to make the things that we like to have is destroying forests and um, other habitats. But it's not just the direct destruction that, that is brought about by that activity. There are also the, the consequences of climate change. And that last picture shows a coral reef that has been bleached. And in 2015, 2016, when we were flying around the world, 
the heat in the ocean and the acidity in the ocean around the Great Barrier Reef meant that 89% of all the new coral died. And so that huge and incredibly diverse reef is damaged in a way now that they, the scientists say is not going to be possible to repair. And if, like me, you've watched Finding Nemo and you love to watch those colorful programs and think about all that natural life, the reality under the sea is that we are causing damage now that is um, permanent. Thank you. Actually, I was going to uh, read just one, one more bit of scripture, actually, at this point as well. Um, it comes from Jeremiah um, chapter 2, verse 7. And, and I have to say that the initial context of it is around um, what the, um, the Jewish people were doing having gone in, into the land of Canaan, and it was particularly around how they were defiling, damaging things by their worshipping of idols. So that's the original context. But I want to, if you'll allow me, to use it a little bit out of context. So this is what, this is what God says to, to the people. He says... I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. So I I am using a little bit out of its original context, but having seen that, it felt that it did say something about how we have treated the land. So what's the response? What is happening uh, given all of this? Well, um, there are some grounds for encouragement, I think. Um, One area for encouragement is the scientific consensus. So the overwhelming uh, number of scientists um, agree, and actually there's some really solid scientific evidence about what is happening. Uh, It's not in dispute, although you may occasionally hear in certain places that it is disputed. But if you look at the science, we know pretty well what is happening. And so the IPCC said last year that we have 12 years left to make the changes that we need to avoid a catastrophic change to our climate, which means we now have 11 years. And then I'm also encouraged by the responses of um, even governments, actually, sometimes. So... The UK Parliament earlier this year, in I think it was in May, declared a climate emergency. So that's, that's our government, right, saying this is real, this is an emergency. Lewisham Council in February declared a climate emergency. Um, Pope Francis declared a climate emergency for the Catholic Church in June this year. So there's... How many minutes have I got? Five minutes. Thank you, Rosie. So there, there is um, recognition that this is an emergency. Um, and businesses are responding as well, and, and actually we're responding as consumers. So to start with, I'm encouraged. Ben, thank you. And, of course, you'll recognize the young women at the top from Sweden. I think one of the, the best recognized faces probably in the world now. Greta Thunberg. So we have what I would say is a prophet in our own time, a young woman who bravely on her own initially stood up for change on climate 
and has now been joined by millions of others. So Daisy and Clover dragged us to the climate march in central London a few weeks ago, um, striking from school for the day to be there. And of course, as Londoners, we've all heard in the last few days about Extinction Rebellion. Now, I don't know what you think about Extinction Rebellion. They divide opinion. They are disruptive. Um, Perhaps you could show us the next slide, Ben. Although, interestingly, they get support from places you might not expect. So somebody said, I basically think that Extinction Rebellion are right to rebel against the extinctions that are taking place. Since 1970, the world has lost 59% of the mammals, birds, reptiles, and fish. That's in my lifetime. The same is true of the UK. An absolutely catastrophic loss of species habitats. We must, must, must arrest this disaster. Who said it? Boris Johnson. (laughs) Even from the most unlikely of sources, there is recognition that something has to be done, even if he does not agree with the methodology. Thank you, Ben. And it does get reactions. So um, the, the man in his dressing gown is Lord Fraser. He was very unhappy at the noise of drums and whistles outside his house Um, from the Extinction Rebellion protesters. And the picture at the bottom is James Brown. He's a Paralympian, and he glued himself to the top of a plane at London City Airport to prevent the plane taking off. Now, if I'm honest with you, if that was the plane I was catching home to be at a friend's wedding, or if I was trying to travel through central London to get to my job, I would be annoyed by this disruption and that is partly their intention, is to, to disrupt and to draw attention to what is happening. Thank you, Ben. So last week, those of you who were here last week, uh, Jill was speaking about mental health. And one of the things that she mentioned was a new phenomenon called eco-anxiety that has become a thing now that uh, people are aware of all of that is happening, and it's making them feel anxious and sad, and particularly young people, because they think about their future and the world that's coming, are experiencing eco-anxiety. I'm going to give you one Swedish word. Flygeskam. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's always risky, isn't it, when you say a word that's not in your own language. And what does it mean? Flight scam or flight shame as well, yeah. So this is a thing in Sweden, and I think it's probably something we're beginning to experience as well, that getting on a plane is becoming something perhaps to be ashamed of, to be have someone point fingers at you for doing it. And in Sweden, a lot of people are choosing to take the train instead of flying, which is great if you have the time and the money to take the train instead of the plane. So um, there's that story in the Bible about uh, looking at the speck in somebody else's eye. I think we're getting rather good environmentally at seeing the speck in other people's eyes. I hear a lot of people making comments about, so they're still eating meat. Mm, Interesting. 
Oh, they took a plane. Mm, leather bag. And I don't think we're doing very well at looking at the plank in our own eyes that needs to come out. So I do feel that we're in a time now where, as Christians, we need to be aware of a lot of judgment that is happening uh, within our society. And we have to think about um, what is our response. And uh, spending time with other, um, others who are passionate about the environment in Lewisham, I'm part of um, a, a climate action group in Lewisham of um, people from lots of backgrounds, most of them not Christian. There's a lot of despair I think a lot of people are feeling hopeless and despairing given all that's happening and where we're at. So, as we draw to an end, and Rosie's waving at me because I've reached half an hour, we ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? I don't know if anyone has a bracelet anymore. It used to be a fashionable thing to have these bracelets, WWJD. But if... If Jesus was here in Forest Hill, what would he be doing? Would he be buying a Prius? Would he be eating organic beef? Would he be very careful to make sure his recycling goes in the right box? Would he be getting involved in civil disobedience? Would he be writing letters to his MP? What would Jesus be doing in Forest Hill? about this then. one thing I'm, I feel quite certain about is that he would care about the impact on people and I've been reading um, I'm going to give a quick plug to Conrad here um, this uh, New Testament in a year that I bought from Conrad in August and I've just read a few days ago this verse, these verses from Matthew where Jesus is really clear that those who um, are blessed by the Father, those who are doing the right thing in his eyes, are feeding the hungry and giving water to the thirsty and um, inviting in the stranger, clothing the naked. I feel quite sure that in a world where many people are suffering because of climate change, because of drought, perhaps their crops have failed, perhaps they've had to move home, perhaps the country they live in is going underwater, that Jesus' response would have been of compassion and mercy and acting to help them. I'm quite sure of that. And actually, if Jesus as well knew there were ways to reduce that harm, to prevent that harm, would he have done nothing? Would he act as well to try and reduce that harm? Ben, thank you. A couple other examples, because I do feel that we really need hope at the moment. And I find hope in some of the changes that have happened in the past. There have been some, some global issues in the past. There have been some things that have looked pretty um, unlikely to change, but where change has happened. So who's the guy in the fetching white cravat? Almost. No, a friend of his. Newton, John Newton. So he was a slave trader. So if we think about modern-day life, then perhaps he was like the oil executive of his time. Perhaps he was like the BP executive of his time. But he changed how he saw things in his um, coming to faith, and he was part of that group of Christians who drove the abolition of the slave trade. Huge vested economic interests, but it was turned around. 
Anyone recognize the symbol from the top, the red one? Jubilee, yeah. Drop the debt. Jubilee 2000, the churches started. Now, they worked with others, but they started a big campaign in the late 1990s to drop the unjust third world debt. And big changes were made. And some of those who made the decisions, then the politicians, attributed um, a big part of the reason they did that to what the churches, to what Christians had done. We were at uh, Greenbelt, which is a, a Christian arts and social justice festival uh, in the summer. We go every summer as a family. And Christian Climate Action were there. And so within the environmental movement, there are Christians who are acting and are um, being a part of this. So this is uh, one guy. I've not met him, John Clements. And there's a quote. And Ben, if you could share for us. He says, I think Christians need to be involved in action that has to happen to stop the climate crisis. Christians should be all worried about the destruction of God's creation. We need to be good stewards. I've been willing to be arrested. We need to be willing to make sacrifices to make the point, to bring the message home. We all need to work to unite all churches to commit to deal more actively with the climate change crisis. So what will we do? I know I'm running out of time. I told you there was too much to fit in. So these are some ideas that I am thinking about. What can I do that will make a difference here? So you can see there's a whole range of different things on here that we can be doing. Now, I think it's really important that we take small steps. And one of the things that the Bible is very good at showing us is that we should not scorn, we should not, um, we should not despise the small acts. There is example again and again and again in the Bible of how the small acts are really important. So there's things on here that any of us could be doing. But there's also a need for some big structural changes and so although we all need to make individual acts, and whether they be tiny or significant, I think there's also a need for some big changes if we're going to see change in the 11 years, for example, that we have left. Uh, I've written your ideas up there as well, um, because uh, these, this is just a beginning. So um, that's pretty much to the end of the, the time that we have. And what I wanted you to do was to, um, to think about the, the, where we are at now in terms of the climate, in terms of the natural world. And I want you to think about how that makes you feel. I want, you to be, I want us to be asking the Holy Spirit to, to be speaking to us, to be prompting us. Where do we need to act? What do we need to be to be the church to be Christ's response at this time. And I'd like you to, um, I was going to get you to do an activity, but I think we're probably out of time, but I'd like you to perhaps take away some of those ideas, but take away more the challenge yourselves to think, what is it that you could be doing and how might we support each other to bring about change? Um, if you give us the last slide, Ben. So if it's okay with you, I'd like us to end just with a, a short um, prayer um, that I dug out of a very old Anglican book that I had knocking around at home. Um, and this is um, 
partly a prayer of confession and partly one asking God to help us. So I'll read the the light text, and if um, everyone can join in on the bold. Almighty God, we confess that we have often misused and ill-treated your creation. Hear us, and in your mercy, save us and help us. For every act of carelessness that has treated the world merely as a playground, Father, forgive us, save us, and help us. For every act of wastefulness that forgets the crying of the needy, Father, forgive us. For every act of selfishness that defies your just rule over our lives, Father, forgive us. And together, cleanse us from our sins through the love of Christ and set us free for his service through the power of the Spirit for the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you, Paul. I was still listening, even though we were being very creative in the corner over there. I think there's lots of really practical ways we can be like Jesus, from what you were saying as well, which I think is a real challenge for every single one of us as a church and in our communities as well. I would just like the children, who have been very quiet in the corner over there, um, to come and share what we have been doing. You probably didn't notice them, they were so quiet. So if you can um, come to the front for me. Anyone else who we've... Lost in the congregation. (laughs) Okay, and we have been creating a world to remind us that God created the world. Um, And we have written a verse on it as well. Who would like to say the verse we have written on our plates? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, let's say that all together, shall we? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, so that's to remind us of that. And then they all drew a picture of something they are thankful to God for in his creation as well. So would you like to just say very quickly what you drew? I drew a sunset. Sunset? What are you thankful for? Animals Animals and trees, I think that was that one. (laughs) What was your one? My one was... Hey. Yes. <laughs> that was people <laughs> in a beautiful world as well. Plants. My one was basically like hers, but added with like the sea and the trees. My one was trees as well. Uh, a dinosaur. A dinosaur and animals as well. So there's always a dinosaur. So let's give them a round of applause. Okay, so it's really lovely to um, see how God is speaking to children as well and that they are able to share that as well. So thank you. You can go and sit back down now with your parents. That's fine. Um, okay, we're just going to close with one more song, if that's okay. Um, And let's just use this time to reflect on what Paul was saying. Uh, Maybe think to yourself, what are you going to do maybe this week 
or in this month to um, be more like Jesus in terms of the environment as well and looking after the world God has created for us as well.